but uh, I want to read to you verses 1 through 11. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated for the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Philistines, they were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who smote Egypt, the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I, I, you saw the title of the sermon there, didn't you? Rabbit Foot Theology. I can't say that that's my title. I got that from Del Ralph Davis. But what a title. Uh, do you know what rabbit, rabbit foot theology is? I think you already know what rabbit foot theology is. I don't know if any of you do this, but I know that growing up, maybe they still do it. Don't you have a little, does anybody have a rabbit foot in their pocket right now? You know, keychain with a rabbit foot on it. And what do you do? What's rabbit foot theology? Well, it's superstition. It's reaching down in your pocket and rubbing on that, you know, rubbing on that rabbit's foot. And, you know, you go there for a little bit of help, <laughs> right? You go there for just a little bit of help. And so you rub it for what people would say luck. I remember playing baseball in a, as a high school senior, and I had, I, you know, there's these moments, folks, I would just, this is a little side note, there's these moments God gives you, these moments you need to write them down because they're very important moments for the rest of your life. And so I had this aha moment when I was playing baseball as a senior. And so I remember there was this game. I could tell you where it was. I could tell you when it was. I could tell you all about it. But I hit a home run. I hit a double. I got RBIs. I stole bases. And it was a great game. And so it was, and I remember I wore these, you know, socks up to my knees like Dave's got on right now. And they had red stripes at the top. And so three days later, it was time to play the next game. You know, you play Tuesday, you play Friday, you play Tuesday, you play Friday, and then you change from Monday to Thursday, and that's how you did, did it in high school. And so it was Friday's time, you know, game. And the first thing that came to my mind as I'm putting on my suit is, do you wear your, magic, your, your uh, lucky socks? 
you know, your lucky socks, Mark, the lucky socks, the ones that are white, got the red stripes at the top, and I had that moment, and I thought to myself, do socks hit baseballs? Do socks hit home runs and doubles? Do socks steal bases? Do socks have any power at all? No, they don't. And so I resolved that I would not have a pair of lucky socks. I, on purpose, wore blue striped socks underneath red a red outfit. On purpose, I wore blue socks. I said, fooey on superstition. But this passage is about superstition. It's about that thing. It's about that it that we go to for salvation and for help instead of God. The elders of Israel, the solution of the defeat they had at the hands of the Philistines is there in verse 3. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord that it, not the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. There's nothing new under the sun. An atheist friend of mine, I used to train this atheist lady, and we had this great relationship. Every now and then she didn't like me, but um, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, she's telling me that she, she, her daughter's also an atheist, and her daughter married a nominal Roman Catholic, and her, they had a baby. And this nominal Roman Catholic husband told her, his wife he wanted to have the baby baptized. Why do you want to have the baby baptized? He says, you hardly, she said, you hardly ever go to church at all. He says, I know, but I just if there's, if there's anything to it, I want my baby to have it. If there's anything to this baptism, I want my baby to have it. And so he was willing to shell out a lot of money. When you don't go to Mass on a regular basis, you got to pay to get that baby baptized. But I don't want her to miss out on anything. Of course, the, mo- the mother's laughing at it. The daughter's laughing at it. But the, the husband, he... Didn't want her not to have it if there's anything to have. Politicians invoke the name of the Lord if they think they'll get votes. Business owners invoke the name of the Lord if if they think it'll keep their business floating. And in the Civil War, the North and the South both invoked the name of the Lord. And on and on we could go. In all these scenarios, God is being sought for the sake of immediate needs, not for a relationship, but for immediate needs. There's no interest in the Lord. There's just interest in using the Lord. There's interest in it. There's interest in a box. There's interest in socks, but not in a relationship. It prefers to harness the power of God rather than to know the God of power. And so today, as we pass on from chapter 1, 2, and 3, we move to chapter 4, and you saw those words, those opening words. It says, "Then thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, here's the end of Samuel for a while. We won't see Samuel again until chapter 7, verse 2. It's kind of sad, you know, <laughs> but he'll come back. Um, unfinished business got to get taken of in our few passages here, some unfinished business. But we've been thinking about Samuel. We've been thinking about Hannah. We've been thinking about Elkanah. We've been thinking about her prayer and answered prayer and training this little one, bringing him up to the Shiloh temple, dropping him off, Eli, training him, and he gets a new jacket every, every year. And, you know, we know all these wonderful things. And so now God has called Samuel to be the prophet, and he's going to go off the screen for a few chapters. We're going to shift from light to darkness. We're going to shift from light to eliminating the old guard, removing the house of Eli. And we're going to begin to focus on the ark of God for a few chapters. Here in chapter 4 alone, there's 12 times the ark of the covenant is mentioned. So 
this this evening I want to give you the first point is this the Lord is working. Just working in the wrong direction. <laughs> He's working the opposite direction that these people want. The first battle was Israel is camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines are camped at Aphek and the Philistines were God's tool. Remember, the Philistines are God's tool to punish these people for what? Why is Israel underneath this servitude to the Philistines? It's because they're acting like Canaanites. And if you act like Canaanites, if you, if you break the covenant with God, God brings uh, a nation against you and he's going to punish you. He's going to oppress you with these people to bring you to repentance. And in this first battle, 4,000 men died on the battlefield. And the people again began to go, well, where's God? It's a really good question that the people ask in verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That's what the soldiers came back and told the elders of Israel. Why? Where is God? Well, God is there. He hasn't left the building. He is working. He's just not working in their favor. And the reason he's not working in their favor is because of their sin. What is, what is it that's happening here? Well, in the law, the penalty of disobedience is found in Leviticus twenty six seventeen. I will, if you disobey, I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you. You will flee even when no one is pursuing. So the Philistines are ruling over God's people. Deuteronomy 28, 25, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. So the people of Israel had sinned. They needed to humble themselves and repent of their sin in order to be right with God. They should have asked, what have we done? They should have repented of their sins, and God would have given them a victory. And the same thing is true of us as we think about this. God's always working. He's always present. And at times, maybe we feel like God is working against us. Sometimes we feel like God is working the opposite direction we want Him to work. Well, it's important when this is happening to ask the question. It's important when we're going through a dark providence to ask the question, have, have I sinned? Because you might not have. Or you may, okay, if you came to a pastor and you started showing, showing me that well, you hadn't read your Bible quite enough, I mean, I might say, oh, okay. But, you know, sometimes we go through dark times and it's not because we did something. And so uh, we have to acknowledge that. We lay ourselves out. We say, Lord, I've, I've repented of every known sin that I know of. I want to be right with you. I, I'm willing to go through whatever it is you want me to go through. But if you find yourself passing through a dark providence and you know the reason, you know the reason is you're rebelling against the revealed will of God, then you do need to confess your sins and repent of your sins and return and walk with God. This is exactly what the Philistines should have done, but it's very apparent that they didn't think long enough. They didn't go and read Leviticus. They didn't read Deuteronomy. They came up with a solution. It's in verse 3. I'm going to read it to you again. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant, that it may come among us and that it may deliver us from the power of our enemies. That is rabbit foot theology. Let it save us. Now let's think about the it for a second. Let's think about the, 
this, this uh, gold box. Gold covered box. The ark of the Lord was a gold covered box. It was three and three quarter feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. And it was normally hidden in the most holy place of Israel's place of worship. And so sometimes it wouldn't, when it was, they were marching, it would be out there in front of the people. And it was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. It's a piece of furniture. And it's the place, it says here, who is enthroned between the cherubim. In First Chronicles 28, verse 2, it says that it's the footstool of his throne. So I want you to think about this, this box, this gold-covered box. It's normally hidden in the Holy of Holies. It is the place of God's presence. There's angels facing in two directions. There's the mercy seat in the middle. And there's the glory of God's presence between the two angels. And there's, there's this presence of God. And there's three R's I want you to remember. It represents the rule of God. It represents the revelation of God because the Ten Commandments are stored away on the inside. With the, Remember the finger of God wrote on the stones. Inside and it also represents that mercy seat, represents reconciliation with God through the blood of a sacrifice. This is what it represents. And this is what should have been on their minds. And maybe, maybe the Israelites are thinking they needed to return to that old-time religion. Think about it. After they came out of Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai, God told them how to design a place of worship that would be te a temporary, you know, it would be able to impermanent, and they could carry it around. And so this ark would be in the Holy of Holies, and they would carry it with them through the wilderness. And then when they came to, to uh, Jer I mean, uh, Jordan River, they walked out in the water, and the water stopped, and they walked through on dry ground. And then when they took that ark and they walked around Jericho, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And maybe they thought, hey, we forgot the ark. If we just take the ark, it's as easy as that. We have, we'll win. It's just all too easy to fall into the idea that a box can give us divine victory. And so these elders, again, they said, let us take to ourselves the the, uh, from Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant, it will give us deliverance. They assumed that this divine power box would be brought into battle and give them victory. It sort of goes like this. How can we lose? Because we're going to manipulate God and get what we want. Here's how we manipulate God. God will never, y'all heard this before, God would never allow himself to be taken captive. God will never. So if we take God out, and we take him out into the battlefield, he will never allow himself to be defeated. And so we will, along, along with the ride, we will be saved ourselves. We're going to manipulate God and use God to save us. Rather than bowing to the Lord's rule, rather than confessing their sins where they disobeyed the Ten Commandments, rather than coming with a sacrifice to the Lord at the mercy seat, they will use God to get their way. Now, so in verse 4, it says, oh, the people, that's their solution, the people sent to Shiloh. And from there, they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And verse 5 tells us that when, when the, uh, the ark came into the camp, the people shouted. And this, this version says, there was this resounding loudness. And uh, 
All the people were filled with excitement because we've got the box. The box is here and now we're going to win. And the same, another response happens among the Philistines in verses 6 through 9. They hear this uproar, and this is two miles away. You know, you know when we have those football games sometimes? Did y'all ever know, you know, I have those football games on Friday night, and it's so loud and almost two miles away, you can hear the, cha- the, the crowds cheering and all that sort of stuff. And so that's what's going on, all this big loud uproar, and all the Philistines hear it. What is that? They heard that it was the ark of the Lord came into the camp, and the Philistines were afraid, and they said, this, the God, gods have come into the Israelites' camp. Oh, no, we're in trouble. And they pronounced two woes on themselves. Woe is us. Woe, woe to us. Who's going to deliver us? Listen to this. This is important. Listen, who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? These mighty gods that saved them. Listen carefully. Saved them while they were in the wilderness. From the Egyptians. Is that the right story? Is that the right story? You with me? They they don't have the story quite right. God's no, the one true and living God. In saving them from from the Egyptians while they're in the wilderness, no. Saving them out of Egypt by his mighty power and plagues. They they don't quite have the story straight. And so, but rather than fold up and die, they determined to resolve. Look at verse 9. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews, even as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. Verse 10 tells us the outcome. They fought, the Philistines won, and the ark of God was taken captive. Israel's solution, their scheme failed and the only conclusion at the end of the day was Israel uh, could, could draw at the end of the day was they were defeated and then God himself was taken captive. This is point number two. The Lord is willing to suffer shame rather than let you use him. The question we have to ask ourselves is have, have I replaced God with a thing? Have I replaced God with a rabbit's foot? Have I replaced God with a routine? Have I replaced God with a ritual? Have I replaced God with socks? Sometimes people do it, right? Are you trying to use God rather than have a true relationship with God? Why do we do a prayer chain? We had a 24 for 24. We did 20, and we had a whole bunch of prayers. We had lots of prayers. Did you do that because you hoped by a volume of words that you would twist God's arm and make him do what you wanted him to do? We have to ask ourselves that. There was a man I heard, um, this just came to my mind, Dick Lucas was talking about a man over in, um, in London, and he said this man had so much money, and he sent all these prayer requests all over the world, and finally, after all these months, he finally realized, he said, you know what, all I'm trying to do is just I'm trying to make God, do for me what I want done. And he repented of it. Are we praying privately? Are we praying publicly? Because this is our God. We love him through Jesus Christ. And we're praying according to his will and for him to do what he wants to do. Why are you going to church? Did you know that going to church can be a lucky charm? 
I used to, there was a man used to sit right there. He sat right there for, for, for six months. It's a terrible story. He ended up dying. But after six months, he would, every, every week he'd shake my hand. He would tell me things go better with church. He said it so many times that I began to remember, isn't there a song, Things Go Better with Coke? Coca-Cola? There was a commercial. It, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't things go better with Jesus Christ, walking with Jesus Christ, loving the law, praying. It was things go better because I went to church. My life is better. My, my week goes better because I touched church. What about emotionally charged Christian music? Do I have to have my emotionally charged Christian music? What if I don't get to have it? What about personal devotions? Am I doing my personal devotions because it makes me feel good? I'm not saying it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, one of the things that Spurgeon said one time about real, real prayer, you know what he said? Sometimes real prayer is getting up and realizing you feel like you didn't do anything. Are you willing to pray and willing to read your Bible when it doesn't feel so good? <laughs> you see, it's not about feelings. I remember when I was, uh, for five years, I would... Like Dave, I would study thirty. I would study like thirty hours a week because I had three or four preparations. And I was just studying all the time, and then all of a sudden, I'm working for a GNC store, and I thought that I was gonna die because I didn't read and study my Bible the same amount. And God had to show me it's not my time that He wants, but He wants me to love Him. And so as time went by, those hours that I'd studied, they began to be the thing that I meditated on while I was at work. And God sanctified me at GNC store. It's not about our time. It's not about our socks. It's not about our rituals. I think all of those are important. But it's about God. It's about walking with God in your heart. Do you know that God is willing to allow you to suffer grave and terrible disappointments in order to teach you what kind of God he really is? I want you to think about the businessman. He invokes the name of the Lord because the Lord will keep his business floating. And so he's heard you, Christian, tell him that your God is great and powerful. And so he's invoked the name of the Lord and the Lord doesn't allow his ship to keep floating. It sinks. So he walks around and he says, your God, he did not come through with me. For me. Well, you know what? God will let him uh, sink in order to show him he's not a God who's going to be manipulated. He will rather let us fail than to think that we can manipulate him. He will suffer us to, he will let us suffer disappointment in him, if you will, to teach us who he really is. If Israel had come to God on his terms, Think about this. If Israel had come to God on his terms, if Israel had looked at the law and repented of their sins and cried out and wanted fellowship with God, God would have given them a victory over the Philistines. And I think the same thing is true for you and for me. If you and I mourn over our sins, repent of our sins, if we stay near to the beloved sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ, if you mourn truly over your sins, do you realize, we said it this morning, if you're really humble, you know what we said this morning, if you're really humble, you'll have power over the world, over the flesh, and the devil. If you mourn over your sins. Now, that doesn't mean, now remember what it says there, second, second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, fill in the blank, comforted. 
If you mourn over your sins, you'll be comforted. If you mourn over your sins, you got power. God will give you victory. It's kind of strange, isn't it? But that's the facts. Well, third, the Lord is fulfilling His will even when it looks like shame and defeat. So the elder's solution was to bring the ark to the battlefield. Did you see who brought the ark to the battlefield? The reverends Hophni and the reverend Phineas brought the ark to the battlefield. Do these men love God? Do these men love the presence of God? These are the master manipulators in the temple. Sinning outside, sinning inside. They don't love the presence of God. They don't love the rule of God. They don't love the revealed will of God. And they certainly were taking advantages of the sacrifices that would have brought them in relationship to God, the reconciliation we just talked about. They were taking meat that wasn't belonging to, that did not belong to them. Everything they did was for personal gain. And now they're going to bring the ark out there and use God again for their purposes. And the result was disaster. The news media that day would say that Israel's defeated. 30,000 men died on the battlefield and the Reverend Hophni and Phinehas were killed and the ark of God was taken. Oh man, that looks bad. But God was fulfilling his will. It looks really bad, doesn't it? But do you remember Hophni and Phinehas, their sins? And do you remember how God determined to put them to death? And do you remember that God sent that unnamed prophet and said, this is what's going to happen to your sons, Eli, because you honored them above me. You did not discipline them, and you loved them above me. And then the worst thing of all for poor little Samuel after he gets called, right? Remember the call? Remember the first thing he had to speak? to Eli, the, the person that he probably had great compassion for. First thing he had to tell him is, your sons are going to die. Israel's plan was to be successful on the battlefield and use God, and the Lord's plan was to fulfill his word and put Hophni and Phinehas to death. That's painful to say. The media would report that the Lord's people had been defeated that God's ark was taken, and in reality, God was doing his will all along. The old guard must be removed. Those who dishonor God must be removed and replaced by Samuel, who will serve God and speak the word of God. Philistines may despise the Lord for a little while. We're going to talk about that for a little while. And then they're going to find out that, that the God of that ark is a hot potato. They can despise the Lord for a little while, but the Lord will no longer be despised in Shiloh. Not at the beginning, not at the front of the temple, not on the inside of the temple. God will replace those men with someone who is humble. What does God care about most? Does God care about the ark in the hands of the Philistines being dishonored, or does God care about the hearts of his people? Is God concerned about his reputation or is God concerned about his people's hearts? God's concerned about your heart. And if you dishonor God, God will not be mocked. The Bible tells us if you sow to the flesh, you will reap from your own flesh corruption. If you say no to grace, if you say no to Jesus who reconciles us by his own blood, if you say no to forgiveness, then you will be incurred disaster just like Hophni and Phinehas I'm going to try, I'm trying to shorten it down, but I just have to say this. 
think who these guys were. Think about who they, who their line was. They were of the priests. They were the closest men to the things of God, and they were still, because they despised the things of God, they were destroyed. On the other hand, if you and I honor God, then his word will also be fulfilled. God keeps his word. Does the word of God say, if you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life? It absolutely does. Does the word of God tell us that there's a heaven when we've been there 10,000 years? There's something later. That's one of the things Ben came up to me the other, this morning and says, that just fits so perfect. Because Peter was going, you know, there is a later. Jesus told him there is a later. You'll follow me later. When we've been there 10,000 years. There's a heaven for those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Does the word of God tell us that if we submit to the rule of God, go back to those R's, and we obey the revealed will of God, and we are reconciled to God through the blood of the Lamb, is there not a Lamb that snatch, that no one can snatch us out of His hand? It absolutely does. God does not change His mind. His word will not be broken. If you and I honor Him, then we will be blessed, and if we dishonor Him, we will be judged. So tonight, where are you? Are you on the side of God's grace? Or are you on the side of God's judgment? Are you resting on Jesus Christ or are you engaging in superstition that will fail you every time, especially on the day of judgment? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are always keeping your word. We praise you most of all that when everything looked like a disaster on a hill called Gethsemane, when everybody said, that's a loser, and everything is, is terrible for him because he's a bad person, a wicked person, we thank you that in the midst of that, your will was being done that we might be saved from our sins through the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to Meditate on it day and night. Sing it in our hearts. Even as we've been singing this wonderful hymn, 321, that's written by Martin Luther. These words just, uh, I find my heart singing these words through the week. Help us to sing your words and to meditate on your words and pray your words and talk to each other about your words because they are true. And as we sow them in our hearts, we will reap wonderful truth, wonderful eternal life, and special sweet relationship with you every day. Take us from this place safely, Lord. Take us home. Keep us safe. Help us to worship you tomorrow and love you all the week. And bring us back to this place to do this all over again. Help us prepare for heaven. And We praise you and thank you for that opportunity that there's a later for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.